0: Welcome in to Patrick Jones Baseball. I am your host, Patrick Jones, and on this episode we have one of the brightest hitting minds in all of baseball, Ryan Parker. Ryan is the co-director of hitting at 108 Performance in Southern California, and he's really someone who I think a lot of people can relate to because he knows so much about hitting but he can break it down in, in such simplistic terms so the average person can understand it. Um, really, really like what he does. Um, you can follow him at social on social media at R-A underscore Parker. I'd also like to remind you guys that one of the really big things that I've noticed over the past year when working with players is the amount of improvement that I've seen when using blast motion uh, bad sensors. Blast motion is a sensor that you put on the end of your uh, bat, and it can track bat speed, attack angle, how long you're on playing for, it can also capture and view 3D swing animation for every single hit ball that you have. Um, I've noticed some really, really huge improvements overall, um, and it just really helps um, the average amateur player see kind of what their swing is doing um, on each pitch, it helps them feel out what they should be doing. Um, if you guys are interested in getting one of those, head to BlastMotion.com, and in the coupon code area, type in PJB25 for $25 off. I will also have the link um, on my show notes page if you're interested. So here is Ryan Parker, one of the brightest hitting minds in all of baseball. We are now live with Ryan Parker, co-director of hitting at One Hundred Eight Performance. Ryan, really appreciate you coming on today.
1: Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it.
0: So, first off, I'd like to, if you could possibly give like some background of of yourself, like in baseball. Like, were you a player? Uh, you know, growing up, was your dream like every other kid to make it to the major league someday, or just kind of give us a little bit of background?
1: So, I grew up. Um, in right outside Dallas, Texas, so pretty competitive baseball environment. I was lucky enough growing up that my parents were involved in a local baseball facility. So I was always the kid kind of hanging around the batting cages, you know, putting off homework to hit off tees, you know, really great stuff like that. Um but talent-wise was never my strong suit. So I played my uh my playing career includes a uh not too spectacular high school career and then one semester of division three baseball. And then I just, I hung it up and walked away from the game for a bit. But I mean, you, everyone knows you can't quit baseball. So I, uh, when I got back into baseball, it was more kind I was in the writing and scouting side. I uh, did some writing for a website called a baseball Prospectus. I did some part-time work for a, uh, Uh, major league team doing some computers and video scouting stuff. But it bugged me because all the stuff I would do, like it was great, it was fun, I was around baseball, but it wasn't really helping anybody. Like you can scout, you know, you can scout the hell out of a player for 10 hours and then your team doesn't get them. Or somebody in the player dev side messes them up. So it kept bugging me like, I just want to have an impact in this. So I started getting back into coaching and I've Coached now in Oregon, Texas, Wisconsin, South Carolina, Texas again, and uh, now have a place out in California with Eugene Bleeker at 108, and I'm extremely grateful for that opportunity.
0: So you kind of just travel around to different facilities, I guess. Like because I've been following you, and I I know you have been. Like I think this past uh past year you were in like was it Milwaukee, right and. Um, yeah. so do um, facilities just kind of like reach out to you or like, how does that kind of work?
1: Yeah. So I've been called anything from a, uh, I have coaches who kind of rib me and call me a hitting nomad. I had a minor league player call me a coaching gypsy. <laughs> um, so I've just been trying to find kind of the right place to you know, really settle down and get after it I think uh, part of it is baseball is just it's advancing so quickly now it's on the you know analyst and player dev side before every facility was kind of the same you know you had your couple batting cages pitching machines maybe on the mound. but now you've got places that some you know will have hit tracks will have their attached weight room um, like the reason what I wait is spectacular because you know we have our own on-site biomechanist and working on a, a partnership with a biomechanics lab so this, the kind of resources and opportunities in this game are just growing all the time and that's uh, I've tried to take advantage of that and looking forward to settling in and one at the awesome facility 108 and two just it doesn't get much better than Southern California for talent for baseball.
0: No, yeah, and the weather too isn't too bad. So one day, would you want to like? Is your end goal to, to work for like to be like an MLB hitting coach, or like do you have like a dream job you want?
1: So my dream job um, is just to have my own uh, weird little hitting lab. You know whether you know if that's like one wait, like Parker Lab or something weird. Um, I, the role of big league hitting coach is I think that the discussion in and of itself is fairly different than what people tend to think. A, a good big league hitting coach isn't so much, you know, we see on, on hitting Twitter, quote unquote, a lot of, you know, mechanical arguments and stuff like that. At the big league level, best hitting coaches, do they have that knowledge base? A hundred percent. But they're but they're exceptional at is they're great communicators. Uh, if you've got nine guys in the lineup that night, you might have to be talking nine languages to get them right for that particular night. And at this moment, that's not where my skill set is, nor my passion. I really like working with younger athletes. Um, have I been lucky enough to work with pro clients? Yes. But I also enjoy things like getting from kids, Oh, I hit my first home run today. Oh, I got my first start in the varsity lineup. And stuff like that revs me up as much as um like the cool the cool professional success.
0: Where where kind of did you learn so much about the swing? And I and I know you you know you know a lot about it from a mechanical standpoint, but you know, just talking to 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 Bleaker out at 108, you know, he's someone who who just spoke really highly of kind of your knowledge in hitting um, was it, do you just study video all the time or is it just reading or like, how have you gained so much knowledge, um, in hitting?
1: So obviously I've read a ton about hitting, watched a ton of video, but honestly, kind of the, uh, the best way I've learned about hitting and it sounds boring and cliche is talking with other coaches. I have a DM group on Twitter, it's like a thing with me and four or five other coaches and this, goes back maybe three or four years now and all we do is just toss ideas off each other and at this point you know at this point we've got a couple of these guys work for big league teams um some are college coaches and honestly the best thing that ever happened to me as a coach was um another coach sending me an email basically telling me I didn't know anything about hitting in a in a clever way if you're on Twitter, you might see the name, the name pop up, uh, Steve Carter. So I started writing about hitting for baseball perspective. And, you know, I thought I was God's gift to the hitting world because I knew some very basic stuff about hitting. Like, oh, you actually don't put down early. Oh, you don't actually, you know, chop down to the ball. So I just, you know, thought I was awesome. I get an email from Steve Carter with the opening line Ryan. Your passion for hitting exceeds your very limited knowledge of it. (laughs) And he laid out some stuff. And at first, you know, I was defensive about it and, like, you know, kind of snapped back at him, but he kept hitting me with info. And I I don't even know what the initial debate was about, but the bigger point was I was like, oh, crap, there's dudes who they're invested in this just like I am. You know, if this guy's willing to talk about hitting, I wonder who else is. And that's, um, that's been the biggest eye opener for me. So guys like Dustin Lind, uh, like bleaker, uh, like Jerry Brewer, like Connor Dawson, like Steve Carter, Casey, cause all these guys. And I mean, you've been, you know, baseball baseball guys love to talk.
0: Oh yeah. Just
1: kind of having that group where, you know, you can bounce ideas off like, Oh, that's crazy. You know, hitting, And then you've got these guys. who so you go, oh, well, dang, you might be right. Or, you know, just sending you back, you know, just a bunch of poop-based emojis. Um, (laughs) You know, it's a great sounding board because it really kind of helps, you know, funnel your knowledge of this and, you know, what works, what doesn't work, and more importantly, why those things work slash don't work.
0: So at the end of the day, like, do mechanics really matter that much?
1: A hundred percent, because you're not going to, you're not going to out athlete awful mechanics, and like you took, you know, the best athlete on the planet, and you took you took somebody like LeBron James and just stuck him in, stuck him in the big leagues. It wouldn't be pretty. Um, I say that, and LeBron will watch do this in a year and just be crushing 500 homers. <laughs> but yeah, the body kind of has to operate inside of a specific framework are there such thing as perfect mechanics no is there an absolutely ideal sling? no not not only is everybody different you know physically obviously you know guys are going to have different lengths different you know guys are going to be stronger guys are going to be weaker um and even if there was an ideal fling you have to think about it the same way that's why you know, you've got guys who have these really weird feels like, oh, you know, these pitches, I like, swing down to it. You show them a clip and their barrel's traveling up, but to them they think they're slinging down. They're not wrong. Cause, I mean, let's say everybody goes back to that clip of A-Rod, what was it, two years ago, like demoing how he, felt like he swung down to the ball. Yep. I don't think, I don't, I'm not going to go up and be like, Mr. Rodriguez, I know you've hit 700-odd homers, but actually, here's a gif of why you're wrong. No. Um, like that thought process has value to him, and there are all kinds of guys who have these weird, you know, swing thoughts, feels, whatever. But the way they move allows them to feel that and still pull off a good
0: pattern. So ideally, I guess I'm kind of, I coach a high school team right now, and it's, it's, It's been pretty tough to kind of, you know, I'm trying to, it's, I'm only, I'm the only coach for the JV team and, you know, i got 15 guys and I'm trying to, uh, you know, work with each one individually. So essentially when you are like, if you want to break down like some mechanics, like would you, you ideally want to like load or like when the pitcher goes back, you want to go back and you're, you know, you want your hands to go back and up too, or just kind of like, could you just break down, I guess, like some of the key things that you want when you're about or before you actually swing?
1: Yeah, so one of the things um, we always talk with our guys about is, especially now you see pitchers throwing timing variations at you, and you see guys, you know, doing Marcus Stroman, Johnny Cueto stuff. You know, are we trying to time the pitcher or, try, or time the ball? And that's in my mind a huge difference. You see, um, guys, who less, have less bigger, than like McDonaldson, or. That's you know, so my new gotten got in the Braves and the younger uh, cats like Aldi and Acuna. They've got big legs, but it's all time to release point. You know, they're at the top of their stride basically as that ball is coming out. So that's right there the huge one for me. Probably the biggest thing you hear me harp on with, uh, with younger guys is the uh, posture in this one, kind of how we use the feel at the middle of our body. If you look at most professional guys, you know, they're at the top of stride as the ball comes out. And as that ball is initially working its way towards home plate, they're not completely straight up and down. You see they're kind of tilt over at the waist, they're holding that position. And you know, that from there is kinda of the the big thing we work with on guys. If you're not in a good position like if you're standing straight up right and then just trying to fling your arms at the last second. I mean, you, you're already working in an uphill bolt right there. So just the ability to put yourself in a position, you know, in a kind of uh, postured over position is a huge thing for me. So um, guys, like, I mean, Trout's amazing at it. Arenado, just look at kind of what what the middle of their body is doing those first couple frames was released. And you can see just how they're lining their body up to best deliver the barrel.
0: What about the hands? So I, I think so. I guess just piggybacking off of what you just said, you're you're talking about like a I guess like a hip hinge essentially,
1: right? And some guys, um, yeah, some some guys will be hip hinge guys. Like the you'll see the butt kind of kick out behind them, almost like they're doing a deadlift. Uh, you know, Vladimir Guerrero is the like, king of that move. Um, but it's not even just kind of spine and the shoulders, the spine tilt over, or just do that uh, lead shoulder, that roll in, roll in and down just a bit. Um, a guy like Freddie Freeman was very—he's um, not a big hip hinge guy. Just kind of watch what his upper body does as far as uh, what the hands do. That's a that one's tricky. Get crazy one direction or another. Um, if, you move, you know, if you move the middle of your body, by default, your hands are going to move. So the thing about it, if my hands are pulled really tight into the body and it pitches away from me. The only place I can go is extending away from myself. Well, that by default will slow me down. Where they need to be Anthony Rendon, uh, same idea. So with the hands, I guess my the short version would be just let the hands get moved rather than worrying about right, I'm going to move my hands in these specific fashions.
0: Okay, that, that makes sense. yeah, I, I was just yeah I'm always curious about that because you always see you know a lot of hand, a lot of hands guys, a lot of people asking you know, what they should do with their hands.
1: Yeah, and it's just if you think about it in terms of kind of relative movement, if you leave your hands in the exact same place. And your body travels forward a little bit. It looks like your hands go back, right? Because there's now like a further distance between uh, your hands and your shoulders, right? Right. Yeah, but so a lot of people see that and they're like, oh, he's pushing his hands back. Uh, I mean, again, if I push my hands back, it's just more ground they have to try and then cover forward when I swing.
0: What if your hands are coming with your body, like as you're going to the pitch? You know what I mean?
1: Right, so it's okay. So if you're kind of if you're a guy who has a little bit of a forward move in the hands, are like just riding the long forward with you, yeah, that's that's no bueno. That's when uh, that's when we start busting out uh, Eugene Bleeker's favorite invention over the PVC pipe, and um, starting having feels with that. Like if you just take the PVC pipe and literally just hold it and kind of plant it into the ground and stride, and kind of leave it you know, staying up vertical. You can see if you if you push your hands for another P V T pipe's angle relative to the ground. If it's still vertical, you know, you'll you'll have kind, of kind of slotted your hands up without load nicely without them pushing forward or back.
0: Okay. And that kinda of leads me to another another point I, I see with some high school guys and, and I'm I i have not really figured out how to fix this is I'm sure you've seen this too. A lot of guys who like, they like lunge forward when they swing. So their upper bodies, you know, everything going out front. Actually, I used to do this. I I never figured it out Um, even to this day. I mean, I'm done playing now, but I can never really figure out how to stay back. Um, You know what I'm talking about? Like lunging at the ball?
1: Yeah, 100%. So um, one of the things that's that's tricky with that is that when you do square up, it feels strong. Right? Right. You feel like you're just kinda of throwing your uh weight into that. So that's a good time to start again you know, busting out yeah, Understanding look, even guy who has a big forward move like Harper, um, if you watch, it's kind of yeah, it is his lower body traveling forward? A hundred percent. So one of the things that we've gone with, um, I know we talked bleaker that's yeah, like grabbing the floor, right? Like staying in your staying in the ground, staying in your legs. As you go forward, you should feel, you know, like that back leg is kind of working to the ground. If you're starting to lunge forward, you're going to lose that. You know, you're going to start getting up on your toe. Um, so that idea, we even take a thing like a, uh, just like a basic scale, we'll take a spring-loaded scale, and had guys strap put that on their back foot and have them stride. If that's if the number on the scale starts going down, they start to losing pressure on that foot, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, 100%. I, I never never thought of that. I'm glad you brought that up.
1: Yeah, it's, it's I'm full of little $5 to $10 Walmart hacks like that. <laughs> um, I've, I've never been at a uh, facility until now that has uh, created awesome resources, but I've literally used a uh, rock that fell off a dude's truck one time as a training <laughs> rock. Um, but just stuff like that to understand, like, cool, my body can move forward, but I've still got some pressure, some weight on the back here. Um, another easy one is if you, if you have guys who have played other sports, if I'm a basketball player and you know, I'm on defense, I'm gonna cut to my left, right, to stay with the guy. I don't instantly you know, fall off that right foot, right? That one stays planted firmly in the ground and I kind of move off that. I don't just fade in one way or another. Um, football players same thing so that's when like a good time if you've got guys who are who play sports understand in other sports our change of direction happens really quickly you know basketball player cutting right and left football player same thing baseball it's the same move just
0: slowed down okay gotcha gotcha you brought up uh yeah. pvc pipes um a little bit with bleaker kind of that drill for helping you know uh, that's kinda of keeping the hands uh, back if they have problems going forward. Um what are you really big into P V C pipes?
1: Um, I am, not to the extent that Bleaker is. Um that is um he's been more people in P V C pipes than uh, I have. I'm a huge fan of stuff like bands and uh kind of some weight room stuff. Along with PVC pipe work,
0: I read one time. Um, I think you tweeted something out to the extent that before you just start going in the cage and starting to hit, you know, you need to be doing fifteen minutes to thirty minutes of like prep work. Um, yeah. What? Could you kind of like explain what you're kind of talking about with that?
1: Yeah. So and that gets into um, the whole. Other thing, but so basically, the idea of, of prep work. If you think of the thing, how pitchers get warmed up for a start, although like, nobody looks at a pitcher playing that they say, All right, I need, you know, like 90 minutes before a game to go through all like my shoulder tube work, my band, weighted balls, whatever. Um, but hitters it's still just, you know, like wake and rake, right? Just show up and go. So, this is something that, I uh, myself and, uh, Donald Ecker, another awesome coach, kind of spent a lot of time in Milwaukee building out, is this idea of kind of prepping hitters before they ever get in the cage. So you show up, you know, do a basic dynamic warm-up and just kind of get the blood flowing and feeling good. Once we get into our prep areas, uh, kind of how we had it broken up with the first, just some basic, um, some general athleticism moves, what we try and do is one, get the body warmed up. But if we're able, if they're able to observe what they're doing, kind of, they're not to give away what they're they're not going to be good at in the swing. So a thing like we have them, um, they warm up and then hop over the wall and do a uh, overhead med ball toss, you know, facing away from the wall, you know, ball touching the floor, and they're trying to throw it backwards over their head, high up into a wall. So this move it's a fairly complex move, but what you'll see is this guy's slinging the med ball really low into the wall, that means their arms got out of sequence. Their arms got way ahead of their body. So, all right, we already know, all right, this person doesn't can't exactly time up sequence yet, that's fine. You got other ones where the uh toss the med balls over their shoulders kind of sideways into a wall. As they do that, if their feet are already pulling away from the floor there, we know, all right, this is a hitter who, you know, maybe he's going to struggle staying in the ground. So as coaches, it gave us a heads up before we ever got in the cage. Right, What is this hitter going to struggle with? What do we need to keep an eye out for? From there, once you've worked with us a handful of times and we can kind of build out that program, we would divide it up into a couple different areas. So you'd come in, dynamic warm-up, general athleticism moves, then we'd have challenges like you have some propriocepti- proprioceptive challenges, some balance work, um, a lot of stuff actually standing on foam rollers. One, it's a fun balance challenge. Two, it's an idea of getting forced into the ground because that again, will help your balance out. You would have a handful of what we call horsepower moves, you know, chucking med balls into a wall, running guns, PVC pipe, just stuff to feel strong. You would have resistance moves, which is like band, uh, we'd have you know bands hooked up to you, pulling you in different ways. You trying to resist that. And let me think, what else? There's a ton of so for hitters who are had been hitting with us for a while and who really bought in, they might be over there for 30, 40 minutes, getting their body totally prepped out. So we could add things like if we knew you were a hitter who struggled with um, let's just who struggled with. Maintaining posture in their sling, like they would stand up out of their sling when they hit. We would design a prep move to really feed that flaw. We would tell them, "Hey, take awful reps here." The thing, the idea being, like nobody wants to be bad when they hit, right? Right. But if you come in there and you swung a certain way at a certain point, even though you might not be missing, but you don't understand why, like you can't feel it anymore. So we take the flaws or something to really magnify them. Oh, okay, this feels objectively terrible. Right? Now we know it feels bad. Let's see how we can um figure out how to feel good. We just use the uh metaphor, like how do you figure out what your favorite flavor of ice cream is? It's not like you just try chocolate one day and you're like, This is it, I'm not trying anything else, Right? You try chocolate, it's awesome, you try strawberry, I don't like that so much. That doesn't mean you know, it was awful. You ate sugar. It's awesome because now, you know, all right, I'm going to avoid that and just stick with chocolate. So, just see, kind of feeding the flaws in this one and countering that with, all right, this is the moves we actually want you rolling with. So, oh,
0: we'll how, get. go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was yeah, just saying, like, how do really you, how do you come up with, with ways to like, uh, acquire skill acquisition basically? Cause that's essentially what you're kind of doing.
1: Yeah. So this is, um, this is a big-time skill, uh, skill act. This is a lot of stuff you see. Um, because these are more general moves, the idea of self-organization plays a little more here. Uh, in the swing, you can take some of these same concepts, but you do need um, a coach. That I really like how Eugene put this. In the actual building a swing, self-organization is good, but you really need self-optimization. And that's when you need, you know, a helpful set of eyes on you to guide you there. But because this stuff is, the prep work is a little more basic. It's not as detailed. Yeah. We can let some of the skill-like principles kind of ride out.
0: Um, you talked about how you worked with what coach Eker is that his name?
1: Coach Ecker. Yeah.
0: Coach Ecker. So I actually, I, I, I sent him a couple of messages a couple of weeks ago, uh, just some questions and, and, um, uh, he basically said he the books he recommended to start for me to start were Rise to Superman and Stealing Fire.
1: Yeah. Um, so for books I'd recommend, uh, there's a couple uh, basic textbooks. There's three that I always recommend to people. I get these titles right off the top of my head. Uh, you've got the Quiet Eye and Decision Training by Joan Bickers. Which is a fun one because it also gets into um some vision stuff. I really like that one on the coaching end because it has like studies and data about like how to give proper feedback to Cause one of the things um that they repeatedly bring up in that book and it makes a sense is you know, if you see a hitter take an awesome swing and they crush a the ball, your instinct as a coach is to immediately after they hit it, just praise them, right? Right. Um, they point out how that might not be best. There needs to be almost a couple-second couple gap because there needs to be a moment. They're they're able to let it sink in and process it. So just little stuff like that. So if you're ever watching a hitter, you can take this thing. You might see me, like, tap my leg once or twice. It's literally me trying to almost be metronome myself to um, delay that feedback just a little bit so they can... Um, let that feeling sink in for themselves and then get you know, instructor uh approval or whatever. So yeah, Joan Bickers and the Quiet Eye is an awesome one. Um nonlinear pedagogy by uh Jai Chow and uh Ian Renshaw and there's one author of in this book. Really dense textbook, really small typeface, so not the easiest read ever, but packed full of information, and uh, kind of the godfather of them all would be the uh, dynamics of skill acquisition, which a lot of people have posted about. I know major league teams have their coaches reading this book. Another awesome one. None of these books are exactly easy reads, and, and I wish they were.
0: You. It seems like you really don't work out of like a a thirty minute or one hour like hitting lesson where most facilities do. Um, what would you recommend if, if someone's at a facility and they're in that type of, um, like, format?
1: So, yeah, this one comes from, uh, and I have these, I think a string of, like, tweets from uh, Kyle Bodie like, three years ago, that I just have saved on my phone as, like, business. And it just lays out how the 30-minute lesson thing, one, that model doesn't really scale. There's only so much time in a day, right? Right. It also is tough because baseball is already a fairly cost prohibitive sport. So if Bobby is rich and Timmy's poor and Bobby turns can pay for these 30 minute lessons, all right, that's not exactly fair. If both kids want to get awesome at baseball, so the last couple of places I've worked, we've tried to instill kind of this monthly uh open gym type field where you pay your monthly fee, you show up and it's small group stuff. You get better competition that way for high school guys. You need to get used to working in small groups anyways, because that's how college teams are always going to be. how professional teams always operate. Um, and what it becomes is, you know, say you pay, we'll keep it a, you know, a flat number. We'll say you you pay a hundred bucks a month. Well, you come twice a month, each session basically comes out to, all right, you pay 50 bucks a session. Well, the more often you come, the better value you get out of that money, as opposed to the lesson model, which, you know, is the inverse of that. The more you come, the more you pay. Um, For the facility end, it is tough. I mean, I did take the first year I instilled this, I did take a little bit of a uh, financial hit, but I will say it's a lot easier um, on my end, just as a kind of peace of mind. And because, you know, coaches are people too. So if you get like, I get sick like once a year from kids showing up, Oh, I missed school today, but I want to hit Cough, cough. Okay. Thanks. Um, right. So, you know, if you miss, if you're doing 30-minute lessons and you have to miss a day, now you're stuck playing, you know, uh, secretary trying to reschedule all that. Whereas if you're on the monthly model, I would just, you know, the one, you know, the one you get 60 cents, text people, hey, I won't be in the day. Uh, just add one day onto everybody's uh, membership. So it gave me peace of mind as instructors. Also, the kids who want to be there, now they, they get to be there. The, like the environment went through the roof when we started doing that monthly model.
0: If, okay. So let me give you a kind of a example of where I'm at. So the only facilities are that are in, I'm in Cincinnati. The only facilities that are here are like 30 minutes or an hour. So yeah. should I just run out like an hour for 30 minutes? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm sorry, the opposite. I'll run out. Should I run out like an hour session, even if it's supposed to be for like the price of 30 minutes to help them more?
1: Yeah. Um, or the way, cause that was kind of similar to what I had to do when in Texas was I just paid a, uh, I basically paid rent to the facility owner. You know, I, I've got these time slots you know, I've got this like these like three to four hour block here. At the end of the month, I owe you this much money. It's up to me to make. You know, to have this many clients to cover that fees. Like I said, it's not um, it is a little tricky financially because there are you, know, you can there are coaches who rake it in doing 30 minute lessons for like 75 bucks a half hour or something ridiculous. Um, but there are very few things that I 100% like unequivocally believe in and, but this would be one of them. This monthly mo- model, if you truly want guys to get better, and it might require some, you know, logistical creativity on the coaches or facilities then, because I know we do live in reality, and you can't pay rent, keep the lights on, buy groceries with players want. Um, but 100% believe this is the way to develop the best athletes and ball players. Like, you never hear of an NBA player who's like, yeah, I went and played pickup basketball 30 minutes once a week, and that's how I got amazing. <laughs> you know, it's always like, oh, I lived at the courts. I had a key to get into our local high school gym and would shoot all night. Um, those opportunities, you know, aren't as prevalent in baseball right now. And, I, you know, I wish they were because it just it's, crea- it's a more fun environment because there are times when kids – I. If you, I'm sure you felt like this way when you have a kid who you've worked with for a while and they come in and for a reason they had a long day at school, um, something they didn't sleep well and they have a bad session with you. Right? right. You're like, Oh shit, this kind of way it wears on you. Right. Right. Um, so I was like, We've been kicked off. you know, I had three tests for school a day. I feel like crap. I want, I just want to come in and hit 10, you know, hit 10 BP nukes feel good about life and then go home cool let's do it
0: right no no i definitely i definitely like that model i mean it makes more sense and i I remember just talking to one of my players the other day he was going to get lessons and he was like you know i don't feel like i i get better in 30 minutes when i when my my dad has to pay 40 dollars for 30 minute session every time i mean and that's tough if you think about like 30 minutes like that's not very much time
1: no it's not um and it's tough because as a coach, like, you, you know, sometimes players, they, they need to struggle. And they, they need a reason to get better. Um, you know, they feel like they're crappy at something and then they can readdress it later and they're better. Cool. They know they're better. But if you're stuck doing the 30-minute, you know, once a week thing, it's tough because you can't it, – it's tough because as a coach, you want these kids to feel good because one, you, you know, you want them to come back too. So you walk that line of, all right, how am I develop these guys and have them walking out of here feeling awesome without trading off too much one way or the
0: other? Right. Right. That makes sense. Um, you were, you messaged me the other day that you are training, uh, an indie ball guy who's playing in the Pecos league. I was just kind of curious. <laughs> I was curious how much yeah. you knew about the Pecos league. Uh, oh, I know
1: about the Pecos league, man. It's my, uh, my favorite. So this kid is awesome. Um, he I met him last summer. He had finished up college. Um, extremely intelligent, has a degree in, I think is mechanical engineering. Wow. Works his butt off. Right. So he, so he understands that he's laid himself out like pretty good for, you know, going forward in the future. So he just wants to, you know, he saved up some money. He just wants to chase baseball as long as he can. Cause there's a, there's a shelf life on you as an athlete where there isn't really that sh- shelf life on you as an engineer or a business person. Um, so he literally showed up at the facility one day, I think slept in his truck the first night or two, then found he had a relative in the area that he didn't know existed and was able to like sleep on their couch. But yeah. So my favorite Pecos league story said he was out there first game, he's at his locker and they're getting ready to go hit BP so there's like a little, uh, like a, it's like a t-shirt hanging up in his locker, right? Yeah. Goes in the mouth, puts it on his manager, taps him on the shoulder. So that'll be $11.
0: <laughs> oh man, that's all, that is so Pecos it hurts.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I got ejected from a game. I wasn't even playing in last year. Um, just ridiculous stuff like that. Um, but then he couldn't leave because he had given his manager a ride to the game.
0: <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> yeah. He was like on the bench somehow got like ejected. From, like not bringing the umpire like new base, like something stupid. Right. And then he got ejected. But he couldn't really like leave the parking lot. Cause he had given like, a, I don't know if it was manager or coach or somebody a ride to the game. Cause they don't have a team bus. Um. So you just have to like sit and wait in the parking lot for like another hour
0: and a half. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I mean, I I played uh, in the Pecos last year, and, and fifty seven dollars a week goes by quick, man.
1: Yeah, well, then what was the thing like? I don't know if it was this is for everybody. Like, if you hit a home run, you got paid in a bunch of one dollar bills.
0: Oh, they they do like a pa- pass the hat. So like like I played in High Desert, which used to be like High A for the Rangers. So actually. There was a couple times where there'd be a couple thousand people actually there and there's this guy named Shane Brown, who actually made up to double A with the Yankees. He's thirty now, yeah. but he just wanted to like play another year. So he hit like six bombs at home throughout the season. And there were some days he would he was taking home in cash two hundred dollars after a home run.
1: Yeah, wait, it's high desert is that the stadium that's between the prison and like the sewage treatment factory?
0: Yes. I drove by the prison every oh, single okay. day.
1: <laughs> awesome. Um because yeah, I remember this so uh this guy yeah, he Pecos League and then like after the season he stopped by you know just to hang out and chat. We went out to uh grab some food. I remember he opened up his wallet and was like he paid for like I think he it was like three of us, he covered like our like forty odd dollar meal with like entirely
0: in ones. <laughs> Oh, that is awesome! Yeah, we would have like inmates. They were do they would do. They had their ankle monitors on during like the seventh <laughs> inning. It was it was awesome, dude. <laughs> Last question, Ryan, I really appreciate you coming on today. Um, who is, I guess, uh, your favorite player to to watch in the big leagues? It doesn't have to be like the best player, but just like your favorite player in general.
1: Um, big Ryan Zimmerman fan only because the way he moves and swings, it's almost like, man, there's... I wonder if anybody really taught him to hit like that because that dude is 6'5", pretty large, and he's got that massive leg kick, kind of sticks the bat behind him, has that little bat waggle, and then just cuts it loose. And it's kind of a strange-looking swing, but obviously he's made it work. So I love watching guys like that. I obviously love watching Trout because it's... You know, watching him play the game and watching Miami play Nebraska back in the day, um, just how he's just so much better than everybody around him—it's absolutely insane. Harper, again, same thing. Um, the I mentioned this earlier. Some of the just the, the young Braves prospect, Albies and Acuna, uh, worked with the guy who was on the Braves, and he kept you know telling me like. This Albee's kid is for real. I'm like, dude, I can't. I've can toss this tossed as kid, like as a frisbee down the neighborhood. There's no way. <laughs> um, and then just how he crushes stuff and started going back to the minors. And it's crazy because you see this, you know, 17 year old, 17 year old kid in high in uh double A, and there's a couple of bats and he just looks bad. You know, he's getting blown away by fastballs and. But you start watching those again and he's making in at bad adjustments. He doesn't completely ditch the huge leg kick. You can just see him getting it going a bit sooner. And that's a kid making in at bad adjustments at 17. That, you know, 17, 18 years so old, that doesn't happen usually. So guys like that, guys, who, they get their swings off. Uh, they're conscious of the game around them. That's the guys I love watching.
0: Ryan, appreciate you coming on today. Make sure to follow Ryan, if you haven't already, at RA underscore Parker on Twitter. He's the co-director of Hitting at 108 Performance in Southern California. Ryan, awesome stuff, man. Really appreciate it. All right, thank you for
1: coming on, man. You Have a great day.